We are in this series called Finish Line, and the last couple of weeks we have been uh, talking about, well, one, do now what you can't do later, looking at the Apostle Paul's life, giving his life, spending his life, uh, and feeling that he has given his all towards the end of his life, uh, finishing his race. And uh, last week, um, you know, we talked more about the life of Jeremiah, how God wants to shape us and mold us and us surrendering to him, uh, that just beautiful imagery of pottery that is useful and is beautiful, that is functional and is artistic as we grow as people of capacity and creativity. Today, we're going to focus on um, a particular topic more in the area of stewardship. And Marlene Gallant, who has uh, been leading and helping us in coordinating our finances for several years, her heart just kind of like bleeds stewardship. And I don't just mean financial, I mean everything. And so I thought, you know what, it'd be so awesome to hear from Marlene's heart and, uh, and for her to share on this topic today within our series. And so her experiences are different than mine and her style's different than mine. And you probably need a break from me too, so that's really good. Um, so Marlene, thank you so much for kind of taking a step of faith and, and sharing with us today, all right? We're really Perfect. glad. Like, can I just pray for you? Absolutely. Father, we pause right now and we... T- as we open up the scriptures and different parts of it today, and as Marlene shares, we pray that your spirit would lead us and guide us. Um, grab attention, grab our attention, Lord, today in a way um, where we need it, even though we might not realize we do. And we pray for Marlene that you would use her, um, anoint her um, in this moment, um, just to share um, uh, what's on her heart and, and things that you've shaped in her. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks, Dave. Well, good morning, Westside. Uh, today we're going to talk about stewarding our lives and our resources. We um, just started 2017, 22 days in. How many of us have already forgotten our resolutions? Probably a few. Well, with each new year comes an opportunity for us to really think about what God has given us. And today I want to pause and talk a little bit about stewardship and how it relates to a life well lived. I think back to when Dave started, he talked about surveys, and he talked about 95-year-olds giving some advice, and I thought, why did he ask me to do this, please? I'm not 95, I want to clarify that right now. Um, But I do want to start with talking a little bit about my own life so that you can see the context from where I come when I speak about stewardship. Um, It's been a slow but steady journey. God has worked in my heart from a young age all the way to now, and I know that in my imperfectness, he's going to continue, because even preparing for today, I discovered a whole lot of new things about myself and things that I should be thinking about as I move forward in my life. So when I look back to my youth, my mom taught me to be frugal. We always had borders at home. She always made casseroles out of stuff from the garden. She made a pie every morning and without fail for her whole life. And really, she could whip up most anything. The thing that was most to my chagrin, however, is she would stick us girls on the front yard and give us permanence in front of the whole neighborhood. There's a question of not wanting to go to a hairdresser and not wanting to spend the money to go to a hairdresser, but that was pretty traumatic in my youth. In my youth. My dad, on the other hand, uh, worked five and a half days a week, and he worked hard, so he taught me about hard work, but he also taught me about work-life balance. When he got home, there was nothing to do with work. We were gardening together, we were camping together, we were swimming together, we were going to church, and we were going for drives on Sunday afternoons together. 
He was really was very instrumental in my life. I left home at 17. I had a year of college and I came into Montreal and I think I had a, not more than $100 in my pocket, which was enough for one month's rent and a few groceries. I got the mattress and the two pots and pans from home. Got some people laughing over here so they can relate, obviously. Um, or they were wishing that their rent was $100. All right. <laughs> I learned to budget really quickly uh, at that rate. Three years later, I got married, and when we got married, I came to the realization, or we came to the realization together doing budgets, that credit cards were not the way to go. We didn't like paying interest, and it served no one but the bankers. So we both committed to never pay interest again. We tried to live on one salary and pay off our mortgages and give generously. We were really fortunate that we adopted that lifestyle because my husband became ill in 1995 and has not worked since. But with God's provision, I was able to retire just over 50. And when my husband got ill, our kids were only five and six. We were a little slow on the uptake. We decided to work our careers and have our kids later in life. So really, it was amazing how God worked for us and provided for us. And you may remember my testimony last year. I talked about losing our sons. Well, our oldest son died three weeks before I retired. And the only reason I want to share that with you today is that it had a huge impact on my view of stewardship. It had a huge impact on how I wanted to live my life and how I wanted to carry things forward. And if any of you are struggling today or feeling that you're carrying a burden or that you just don't know where God is in your life, just know from my experience that he works in our hearts when we are at our lowest and we have the deepest burdens and carries obstacles that we think sometimes really not sure what's going on. So I know my experiences are different than yours. I realize without a doubt my generation lived in a different time and we had stresses, albeit them very different than the ones that the young people are having today. So no matter where you are on your journey, I just want you to know that there's lots to learn in the area of stewardship, and no matter how old you are, we're always going to be learning a lot. I think until we get to the other side, we're going to continue to learn. So I want to share with you, if you want to open your Bibles to 1 Timothy 6, 17 to 19, or you can see it on the screen, really, what is God's definition of stewardship? Verse 17 says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way they will lay treasure up for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life That is truly life. These verses are a letter from Paul to young Timothy, who was serving as a pastor in Ephesus. And he was instructing Timothy on how to run his church and how to deal with false teachers. The verses just preceding this talk about money, but they don't just talk about money, they talk about the love of money. And so Paul went on to say that we should put our hope in God who richly provides us everything for our enjoyment. That means that God owns everything. He doesn't just own it all, he gives us all. 
He gives us our abilities and our resources, our talents. He gives us our opportunities to earn money. He gives us our bodies and strength to go to work, our employers the money to pay us, and our homes and jobs, our families, our creativity, our dedication, initiative. He gives it really all to us. And he does this because he loves us, and he wants us to use what he owns to bring about the good that he has in mind. So simply sharing his ownership or recognizing that isn't enough. Being a steward is being a manager. So what I've learned along the way is there's a distinction between possession and trust. Possession is all about what we own. We think we own our talents. We think we own our resources. We think we own everything, frankly, But a trust is knowing that it's being given to us from the owner to manage. And that is exactly what God has done. And a Christian steward receives God's gifts gratefully. Whether that's time, talent, or treasure, we cultivate them responsibly, we share them lovingly in justice, and we return them with increase to the Lord. So stewardship is not complex. It's a little bit tough sometimes to become a manager and to work in trust rather than feeling that we possess. So one of the things I thought was important to look at is a generational question and is, does the economy today really value stewardship? Or does it help us to create ourselves as good stewards? Or is consumerism consuming the consumer? We're living in the most marketed culture in history. Two to 4,000 ads a day that are hitting your screens and our kids' screens. And there's two points that that marketing's trying to drive. One, you need what we're selling. Two, you need it now. And not only are they forcing that kind of out there, but we seem to be okay with it because we're spending beyond our means. We are spending to a point that it looks like we have this persistent need for stuff. It's becoming a disease. We're blind to the long-term consequences of that. Now, this disease is good for some. Those creative people, just think about Virage sale. Probably most of the women certainly could put up their hands and say, yeah, uh, 1-800-GOT-JUNK, Kijiji, Craigslist, eBay, Amazing businesses that have been built on the foundation of us wanting to get rid of stuff that we so desperately needed. We are impatient. That's why the average Canadian is spending today $1.67 for every dollar they earn. We're spending $1.67 for every dollar we earn. Now, I know that's not everybody here, and I don't want to insinuate any of that, but if that's the average Canadian... It's some of us, and it's certainly some of our neighbors, and it's certainly some of our kids, and we need to make sure that we understand what culture is doing to us. So that's one in two Canadians are living paycheck to paycheck. One in two Canadians, if they lost a job, would not be able to afford their home. One in five, when the interest rates go up, they're going to have some difficulties. Seniors are carrying debt into retirement, and we have no money for emergencies. Well, the bottom line is debt is full of lies. And if we're Christians and we believe in God's word, word, God's word tells us that we need to save. 
So given the context of the culture, how do you create a life with meaning? How do you do this with all of the marketing and the digital world that's out there? Their influence just is unbelievable. How do we live wisely, think deeply? How do we love generously? When I was preparing for this, I ran across one of uh, the most influential thinkers uh, in the world, apparently. I'd never heard of him before. His name is Umer Haq. And he has this amazing article. If you're into that, I would really recommend you read it. And what he said is the last 20 years, so the last two decades of my life, we have done some really instrumental stuff. We have created a recipe for opulence. Faster, bigger, better, richer. It's an amazing recipe, but it is serving no one. We can't aff- the world can't afford it, and we're not healing any of the wounds in the world. So this need for happiness and instant gratifications is driving us in North America to be passive consumers. We're unhealthy and we're fiscally broken. I'm not sure happiness is equivalent to meaningfulness. So consider another vision. Let's consider that living meaningfully is about doing, fulfilling, serving, transcending, creating, giving, and all of those things that really matter the most in the world. And though it harks back to antiquity, when I was 30, it was a smarter, sharper, wiser thing to do. And it's a richer conception of prosperity. And I say, I do use the word when I was 30, because I was 30 in the 1980s. And in the 1980s, we were only spending 66 cents on every dollar. It's gone up 100%, more than 100%, it's more than doubled to 100%, and we were saving 20% of our income. Today, it's less than 2% for those who are savers. So stewardship has the power to shape and mold our understanding of our lives, and God is the origin of our life, he's the giver of freedom, and he's the source of all things. So as Christians... We're the inheritors of biblical traditions that are not just older, but they're more humanistic. I would really pray for us and wish that we could regain our hunger to create a better world for humanity as Christians. Too many people are letting the cultural expectations dictate their own values. We're letting other people do it for us. I know it's tough trying to keep up. You feel like a hamster on a wheel sometimes. It's really, you know, we get going, we go faster and faster and faster, and ultimately it's a life where we have pure exhaustion. There is hope. There's an antidote to that. And the only one cure to comparison living is contentment. The Apostle Paul put it like this in Philippians 4, 12 to 13. He said, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. And I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all this through him who gives me great strength. Contentment is a condition of the heart, and Christ wants us to know that our needs and desires have already been met and that he can help us do anything if we just believe in him, he will help us bear any burden and face any obstacle. So why is the world teaching us entitlement? It's teaching us to take what we want, to borrow when we want to get it, 
and to satisfy our immediate desires. Content people are joyful and satisfied. It doesn't mean they don't have goals. It doesn't mean they're sitting around doing nothing that's exciting or challenging. Absolutely they are. It just means that you develop a peace for your life and sincere enjoyment. Content people are at peace. Comparisons bring discontentment. Discontentment brings anxiety. And this stress when we focus on other people's stuff is not good for us. It's not healthy. It's not comfortable. So when you're at peace, you become not only a good person in your family, but you become a great friend because you're not comparing yourself to your neighbor. You're thinking about how can I acknowledge their successes? How can I speak into their lives and encourage them? How can I be that kind of friend? That's the kind of friend that I really want to have. Know what you value. One of the biggest struggles I think we deal with today is we let other people dictate our values. We're Christians. We need to get into the word and study what our values should be. Don't let other people define them for you. Just don't go with the flow. Go anti-cultural. It's okay. It's probably the brighter, better way to go. Take back control of your life. The way you spend your time and resources is a reflection of your values. Take back the steering wheel. You know, it's really a question of do you want to be able to pay for emergencies? Because they're going to come. I can tell you in my six decades, there's been many of them. And I think that generally once every 10 years, we kind of fall into that life because life is real. So you can have it today with sorrow or tomorrow with joy. You can have cash for emergencies. You can have money for your kids to go to college. And you can have money for retirement if you plan and think it through. One of the things in stewardship is to receive gratefully. So every gift that's offered to us, especially a gift from God, comes from his heart. And we have an opportunity to either build on that our bond of love with him, and deepen our relationship with the giver. Or we can turn our head and get caught up in distractions. So have you received your gifts from God with humble gratitude and joy? In this period of crisis today, it's important not to turn in on ourselves, burying our own talent and our spiritual, intellectual, and material resources. There is no other time that the world needs it more. The Lord has given us this, so we need to open our hearts and ourselves to be supportive, attentive to others. Life's not given to be jealously guarded. It's given so that we can give it in return. And God, Paul, in in the writings here, and God tells us, that not only should we receive gratefully, but we should cultivate it responsibly. I know sometimes we think that, you know, is it smart to save and to invest and all of those things. I want to just talk a little bit about Genesis 41, where Pharaoh had his dreams, and Joseph came to interpret those dreams, and he said that there will be a period of seven years of abundance and seven years of famine. Joseph took it a little bit further to say Really, not only is trouble coming, but here's the action you need to take to ward off the problems. So they save 20% of the grain every year for seven years. And when the seven years of famine came, 
they were able to feed everyone. 20% became 100%. How? Not sure why, because God was involved. You just have to make saving a part of your life. Egypt became a source of honor and hope and help for the hurting. And when we save, we can do that too. They saved because they they were wise. They avoided this catastrophic event because of wise planning and careful saving. So, three things. Saving is absolutely necessary. Wise people save money. We know it at our core. Saving money is a decision. Take action. You can't just think about it. You have to move forward. And saving money protects your family and those around you. Discipline savings add up. And saving money puts you in a position to help others. Saving is not contrary to giving, unless you're hoarding it. But saving empowers giving. The third thing that we really want to share in terms of stewardship, we said to share lovingly in justice. Content people are generous. Generosity is probably the most attractive characteristic that I know. People who give freely of their time and their talents and their resources, sympathy, encouragement, and money, well, they're the kind of people you want to spend time with. When we're busy investing all our attention and money keeping up with the Kardashians, we don't usually have enough left. And when we share it lovingly, it changes our mindsets even when we have very little to give. When a few years ago, Andrea Garapi, and I asked Andrea's permission to share this with you, Andrea went to the Ukraine and um, she worked in a special needs orphanage. And it was Christmas time, and she, before she left, she sent out a list to all of her friends and, and people who support her and her donors to say, one of the things I'd really like to take with me is some socks. So from that perspective, Andrea got socks. And she got socks, and there were sales, and so she got more socks. So she had hundreds of socks that she took with her. So when she started to prepare her stockings for all of the kids in the orphanage, she realized that all of these socks were like the for the younger kids, and she had a group of teens that she really didn't have anything for. So she was pretty sad about that, but then she realized as she started to look through her bags and her provisions from Montreal she found these long, beautiful girl socks. Well, I say this because what's amazing is how God works in the little things. You know, we may think sometimes that we don't have a lot of provision and a lot of resources, but you don't need a lot to give something and make an impact on someone's life. These long socks were for the teen girls. When she started to count them, there were exactly 13 pairs of socks for 13 girls. Two of the girls were smaller. There were two smaller pairs of socks. And those socks were bought before Andrea ever left Montreal. So you can't tell me that when God nudges in your heart to do something, do it. Because it's going to change someone's life. And it doesn't matter how small it is. It's going to work miracles. The last thing that we want to talk about this morning is returning them with increase. Giving a tithe is a great example of returning what you have with increase. It's recognition that God owns it, and it demonstrates your commitment to what you have. You see, if you cannot believe, and you're not convinced that God is giving you enough, 
then you can't tithe because you always feel you're in shortage. If we take a quantum leap, I took a quantum leap a few years ago, and one of my personal experiences in life is jumping off the Sky Tower in Auckland, and it kind of reminded me of that because when you jump off the Sky Tower, first of all, it takes a lot of guts to do it. It's pretty scary. The second thing is, what you have to realize is if you really take the time to breathe and look at the breathtaking view you have, it's pretty amazing what can happen. And God holds you in his hands for a very soft landing. So when I started to tithe, the true 10%, because tithing is 10%, I felt it was scary, but I haven't looked back, and I won't look back, and I look forward to continuing to tithe and offer even more to God in the future. He created a people of bountiful generosity, We need to act upon the Holy Spirit's nudging. And when he works in your heart, just listen. Giving is what we do best. And again, I'm not just talking about resources. This is about tithing, but it's about everything in terms of stewardship. It's being a servant, giving of your time, volunteering, and doing as much as you possibly can that work into your talents and your abilities. Our stewardship verse tells us to lay up treasures for ourselves in heaven. And I've learned that we're not losing anything at all when we give offering. But give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly and not with compulsion. So there's two characteristics that we really need to think about when we think about tithing and we think about stewardship and we think about servanthood. And those two things are gratitude and humility. So gratitude is at the heart of Christian spirituality. It is the link between receiving and giving. And that's why it's so important that we stop and take inventory of our blessings because it gives us contentment. And contentment with that gratitude, gratitude also requires humility. So humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's just thinking about yourself a little less often. Humility is really a great thing, and quite frankly, sometimes it gets a bad rap because people might think that someone is weak or that they diminish themselves, but no. You can be humble and recognize your strengths and your talents and your accomplishments, and true humility allows us to celebrate and encourage each other, cheer each other on, and be proud of someone else's success because we're not threatened by it. We're just happy with ourselves. So if you're in a place today that you feel that perhaps you're struggling or you're in a season of famine like Joseph, or maybe you feel like you're stable and standing on solid ground, or you even feel better than that, that you've got more than enough, but maybe your life is not fulfilling. We can lament the changes and challenges that we face in life Or we can remember that we're fortunate. Remember in the scriptures, there's over 800 verses and there's there's lots of conversation around, is it 800 or 2,000 verses that talk about stewardship and money in the Bible? God has plans for us and those plans are not to discourage us, they are to provide us with hope. God's plans cannot be destroyed. His plans are to use us and our work will be rewarded. So, stewardship is a spiritual decision. Are you handling God's blessings, God's way for God's glory? 
That means time, talent, and treasure, regardless of where you are, can we receive gratefully, cultivate responsibly, share lovingly, and return them with increase to the Lord? I know that as I look to my legacy and talk about the finish line, the book Authentic Faith, the author says, contentment is nothing more than soul rest. I love that line because it means we are filled with grace and peace. It means that we can savor our lives by helping someone else with our stewardship. Because we're designed in God's image, we're the happiest and most fulfilled when we're serving and giving. So my challenge to you now is get started. No one ever wins a race standing still. And no one ever wins a race if they don't come up to the starting line. There's no organization in the world with more opportunity than the church to really change the world. And I feel that if we as a church and every Christian church could cast a vision for a debt-free life, for an empowering life where we can give, for a life where we're at peace and we have gratitude, I think that would be amazing. So I pray for all of us that 2017 will be our year that we want to make a change and make some steps forward towards a life well-lived. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Marlene. Uh, If you've ever had a chance to sit with Marlene and talk about some of this stuff. Um, she always um, is able to share wisdom, and I know you can go even deeper. Um, I was just thinking about how to respond to this. I'm going to actually ask the team if Matt can come up and the team can come up um, as we want to come to a close this morning in a couple of minutes and also um, launch our week of prayer together. But um, I don't know, where, where does this, how, what's your next step? Think about that. That was a challenge. And I, and I, was, I was in my mind and heart wondering... Look at trying to think of like four or five different categories of people. Maybe you've been listening this morning and you live your life in fear. And may, may, maybe your budget's set up and maybe you give and you save, but daily there's this fear. And you're, you're saying, That's, why should I fear? And God, God owns everything. And maybe your next step is really saying, you know, Lord, Wow, I'm I'm doing some of these things, but I still have a fear in my heart. I feel I, have a, I still feel like a scarcity mentality in my heart. And maybe your first step today is, Lord, help me to see that you're just you're in charge of all this, and cast the fear out of my heart. That might be where you are. You might be at a place, and I, I know some people might feel like they're there, where they say, you know, I've been I've been saving or giving. Uh, for years, I've seen the percentages of my giving go up. And uh, I think the gut reaction, and I, and I can feel a little bit of this, is, that's good, I'm good. What's next? <laughs> you know? Um, and it might feel like, well, there's no real challenge. But I, I feel like God, at any point in our life, wants to challenge us. And when we come to him and say, Lord, what's next? What's next? Where do you want to stretch me? Um, how do you want to use me? Um, what are some areas in my life that we've talked about today, that you want to make help, you know, lead me to a step further. But some of us could obviously be in a situation where it just feels like a mess. And as Marlene encourages us, just start, 
start somewhere. Start um, with a little bit of savings, with a, with a, a different perspective in your budget, with, um, with a new step in towards giving. Uh, because at this moment, God might, be saying, God might be nudging you and saying, hey, this is your time to really start this, to really move in this way. Um, and I'm going to challenge you because there's, I think, these different areas. It's not just about one area or another, but when we just holistically bring it to the Lord, um, I know I know from experience God wants to be involved in all of our lives. You know that he actually he cares about your budget. He cares about your savings. He cares about... Uh, when your furnace is going to go at some point or he cares about the time where you maybe get into an accident and you're like, oh gosh, how am I going to pay for this? He, he cares about uh, all, all those things. He cares about also how you're going to use your funds for his purposes and his mission. He cares about all that stuff. And so I heard just recently someone say, um, never say no when God says now. Never say no when God says now. So I'm not sure what, what God is saying to you this morning, but make sure you don't say no if God says now. Um, I want to just, uh, as we move into this, uh, this moment, um, move into that song called Oceans, uh, as we just put our trust fully in him, and, and I want to sing that together, but I'd, I'd love if you have the, the flyer in front of you with our, our week of prayer, um, I want to call our attention to this, and, um, because for the next seven days, from this Sunday to next Sunday, which is, I guess that's officially eight days, but uh, for the next seven days, next week, we want to call one another to intentional prayer. And we wrote that here at the top because we want this week to be intentional about prayer, to pray in a way that surrenders ourselves to, and our church to God, to pray in a way and that draws us into a deeper relationship with him and engages in his purposes. And so I know we need guidance in this, so we, we set up a small, short, daily scripture and thought where each of us can walk through. And uh, for the next seven days, here's my challenge to you as we move into this week of prayer, is to, to carve out time, to choose today, say, I'm going to choose today how my week is going to, going to turn out in terms of prayer. Maybe, maybe you just you have like no timeline for prayer. You have no, it's not nowhere in your schedule. And, and you need to decide today. Say, I'm going to carve out time, whether it's the morning or noontime. I'm going to take a walk at lunch and make it a prayer walk. I'm, I'm going to end my day in prayer. I'm going to, after supper, uh, spend some, some time in prayer and, and reading these scriptures, uh, either if it's on your own or with a family. And, and to say, I'm going to carve out time for prayer. And we, we have a couple of opportunities this week, Tuesday morning, before work, if you're, if you're up to it and willing and can make it, uh, just between 6.45 and 8.15, our office is going to be open. You can come and join for five minutes or an hour and just join in for prayer on Tuesday morning. And on Wednesday evening, this is really, really key, we're inviting everyone to come and join us at our hub and our office. Um, we'll make this space to, to just engage in an hour of worship and prayer together this Wednesday night. And you'll notice on the sheet and also on our website that we're asking people to even consider fasting, whether it's fasting a meal or for a day, and that hunger that we will feel as we fast. We want to we kind of parallel that to the hunger we long for God to be at work in us, to be at work in our world, to be at work in our church, to be at work in our city. So as we, as we move into this this morning, uh, we're going to take a time just now, just briefly to pray together and to sing this song as, a, as just a, a decision for that.
But I'm going to invite us all to make this decision. Would you stand with me as we intentionally uh, end this gathering in trust of the Lord, like we were talking about, but then in this movement forward that this week will be a week where we intentionally carve out time to pray. And I, I just, I trust I have no doubt in my mind that if we carve out time this week to pray, that God's going to do something in your heart and in your life. Um, whether it's answering a prayer, whether it's shaping your heart, whether it's uh, speaking to you in a specific way, whether it's giving you wisdom, whether it's drawing you closer uh, to the relationship he longs for you and him, I know that God's going to do something in you and in us. Now, would you lead us just to sing this song together, and then we're going to close uh, in a brief time of prayer. Bless your name, Jesus. Father, I know that there's probably in our hearts a desire to be devoted, a hope to be devoted. And so we even admit that there's part of us that wants to want to be devoted. And we want your spirit to grow that hunger in our hearts, even right now, stepping into this week. We ask you, Lord, Grow in us a hunger for you, a hunger for your presence, a hunger to hear from you and speak to you and worship you, a hunger to quiet the voices of our culture and tune into your voice in your heart. So God, we, we pray that we would be devoted to prayer and that this week would be an intentional step towards that. We, Lord, we pray that we would be watchful, attentive. Lord, open our eyes. Just may our awareness of what's around us escalate this week. God, make it exponential, God, that we would be attentive to what you're doing in our hearts and in our lives. May we hear the softest whisper. May we sense um, a deep need in a friend's life over lunch. May we get a sense of how you might be leading us in our workplace this week. God, may we even hear a solution to a problem at work this week that comes from you. God, may we, may we get a sense of, uh, of the burden for, of your heart for our city this week. Lord, may our attentiveness just go up so much this week that we would be watchful in what you are doing and what you are saying so we can hear you and respond. God, we pray for thankfulness. We pray, God, that as we wake up in the morning, even as we put our socks on, God, we would be grateful for the socks we're putting on, God. As some of these kids that Andrea went to see in the Ukraine were desperate for them, God, as we simply put on our socks in the morning, our boots, our, our clothes, God, as we make a cup of coffee, Lord, God, as we, we, we use our bus pass or step into a vehicle, Lord, that we would be so thankful for the things around us, Lord. May we be so thankful, God. May that grow in us this week. May our gratitude be exponential this week. And draw us, Lord. May we just have this hunger to be with you in prayer, in worship, in fasting, in community, or on our own in solitude with you. Father, as we step into this week of prayer, as we step into this week, the rest of this day, God, may we be fully aware of your presence. Uh, may we be more drawn to what you're doing around us. May we say yes when you say now. Yes, God. So we bring this to you, Lord, in Jesus' name. And God, as we think about this message that we've heard today, we give our lives fully to you. Lord, we long to receive gratefully. We long to be humble 
we long to be aware that you are owner of all things and ruler of all things. May we grow in contentment and give generously. Oh God, grow in us individually and as a church. May we grow in radical contentment, in radical peace, and in radical generosity, God. May we then see the beautiful things we can be a part of that you're up to, that you long for us to be a part of, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.